Welcome to the fifth episode of the Food Can Fix It podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Stixett. Today's guest is Ali Saeed Mandri, also known as Chef Ali L'Artiste, a Kenyan celebrity chef, TV radio personality and culinary instructor. Ali's love of food came early. He began cooking at the age of seven and by the time he turned 12, he had his own business selling cakes. Today, Ali works to champion Kenyan cuisine both nationally and internationally and is part of IFAD's Recipes for Change campaign to raise awareness about the impacts of climate change on food crops and traditional recipes. He came to the Eat Stockholm Food Forum as a representative of the Chefs Network, a global network of chefs who are working to create a better food system for all. We talked to him about gender stereotypes in the culinary arts, breaking food barriers and empowering small-scale farmers. Ali, welcome to the Eat podcast. We're absolutely delighted to have you on with us here today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and it's been amazing. You actually decided at a very young age that you wanted to be a chef. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How old were you? Well, I was actually, by the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. But then my mom says when I was a little kid, like ever since I was like uh, probably two years old or one year old, my biggest playground would definitely be in the kitchen, where my brother, where basically is almost a year older than me, would definitely be outside playing with probably like, you know, toys and little cars and all. And I would be in the kitchen, very close to her. And uh, that's what she says. But then at the age of seven, I remember I could, I could, I could make a beautiful breakfast because my grandfather used to cook his own food. Your grandfather? And, yes, and I loved basically to watch him cook. So by the age of seven, I would cook very good breakfast for my grandfather and my grandmother. And uh, by the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. I didn't know how or where am I going to learn to be a chef because basically I come from a community, the Swahili and the Arab community back in Mombasa. A man in the kitchen is basically a no, like... There's no way because it, it is believed in our culture that women are supposed to be in the kitchen because we grow up seeing our mothers cook mm-hmm. at home. So it is definitely a no. Like, how 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 do you want to be a chef? How do you want to create a career, basically, uh, from the kitchen, where basically it's a woman's job? So I didn't know how I'll be able to tackle that. By the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. And... Uh, I didn't know if there's a word called chef, but I knew there was something called a cook. So I always used to say that I want to be a cook. And uh, I remember my my mom has been my biggest support. She was like, you love to cook. I'm going to take you to the best school in Kenya, which is Utali College. And I've been hearing this school, but I don't know how. But at the end of the day, you know, I just grew up. By the age of 12, I started baking. And I decided to make it into a business. So uh, rather than asking for money from my parents, I decided I'm going to bake. I'm going to make birthday cakes and I'm going to sell them. So I started my cake business when I was 12 years old. So uh, I literally don't remember asking for money from my parents at sixth grade. And then uh, I was... Were you cooking in in, in the family kitchen? Yeah, in my home. Yeah, my mom's. And then selling them out. And then selling them out. And in fact, my first cake that I baked, I used charcoal because we never had an oven. I come from a middle class family and uh, we never had an oven. My mom had an oven when she got married, but then it was all like, you know, worn out by the time I was uh, 12 years old. So I... Started baking using charcoal, and uh, I would say 
anything cooked with chocolate tastes amazing. So my first cake was you baked with chocolate. <laughs> I, have, I had never would have thought that a cake baked with chocolate. It's has very simple. All you need to do is basically get your big charcoal uh, stove with lots of charcoal and then you separate the two. You take the charcoal from underneath the stove, you put it on top of a lid and then mm -hmm. you cover the pan or the pot or the baking tray and then it cooks and it cooks literally within 25 to 30 minutes. So that was my first cake and I did that business and I made my little money here and there, got money to buy an oven and it became a business as from grade six toward uh, form four once I'm done with high school. And uh, it's been amazing. So I knew this is what I want to do. And I've been cooking all other dishes as well. Thanks to my grandfather, who has been my biggest inspiration. And watching big chefs like Gordon Ramsay, like Chef Osama, you know, just got inspiration and felt like being a chef, being a man in the kitchen is mm. fine. Mm. I wouldn't really care what the culture says, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to do it. But that's interesting because there's a, there's a dichotomy there. On one way, you're saying, on one side, you're saying that it, there was much acceptance for uh, a man cooking. But at the same time, um, your grandfather was a huge inspiration yes. and a couple of the, the, the chefs that you just mentioned are yes. also male figures. Yes. Yes. So once you get into the industry, it is quite a male industry in terms it of is. the most well-known uh, chefs out there. Definitely. Mm. Now, um, so you went on to become a chef, um, but you don't just spend all your time in the kitchen. Actually, I, I, I'm not quite sure when you get time to spend to be in the kitchen, given that you're also on television, you're also on radio, you're a culinary yes. instructor, yeah. and you write articles. Yes. There's only 24 hours in a day. When do you get to cook, Carly? Well, the thing is, like, I, I have to develop recipes every single day. So even if I'm not basically in an industrial kitchen, more of like a hotel kitchen or a restaurant, I'm at basically at my studio kitchen developing recipes. So for me, developing recipes, like, I have to sit down, write my recipe and then have to go source ingredients and I spend every single day in the kitchen. It could be a couple of hours a day, but then I have to at least cook for three hours a day at my studio kitchen. And if it's not in my studio kitchen, then I cook in the studio live on TV where I have to travel to Nairobi every Wednesday for my live show on Thursday. And uh, whenever I do a recipe on radio, I have to have tested that recipe. So I have to cook, I have to like, you know, have done the, like, you know, the prep, I know what I'm talking to the audience. I know what I'm telling them. I know it works, all the measurements. So I still spend a lot of time in the kitchen, mm -hmm. but then I have to divide it into two, like, you know, more of, a, I would say more of a publishing or a media chef, but then it still goes hand in hand with the kitchen because I still have to do all the tests. So I have a little test kitchen, which is more of like my studio kitchen, where I have to cook and then now come back and basically develop, develop the recipe, write down the recipe. And uh, so it's still, I still spend some time in the kitchen. Now, uh, what was it that, that prompted you to uh, to go on and do this? Is it is it is it a, um, um, a deep wish to to share your knowledge with people and to teach them how to cook, or is it to, what is it that drives you in? Uh it's basically an opportunity that came towards me because when I graduated, um, I I went to culinary school when I was seventeen years old, and I graduated by the age of twenty one, and I was one of the top students in Utley College, which was really amazing for me and overwhelming in terms of basically the 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 um, um, response from the people out there. So at the age of 21 and a half, immediately, like, you know, just six months after graduation, I was approached by my principal to go back and teach. And I told him, I'm very young. I don't think I can be able to lecture. And he says, no, you can do How it. How old were you? I was 21. You're 21. And a half. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, 
I went to class. Some of my students were older than me and uh, I just had to do it and be a tutor. And uh, I lectured for a couple of years. And I think that demand that came towards me being published as probably the youngest lecturer, uh, one of the chefs who basically broke some barriers in terms of like cooking and, you know, from coming from a culture where cooking is basically not for men. So this kind of uh, approach or what would I say, the kind of, feedback or the kind of publicity I got mm-hmm. made me into just like, you know, turn from just the industry to media because I was being interviewed every other day. And uh, so uh, the media started to follow me up and say, do you want a cook show? <laughs> and I say, show, why not? So that's when I started my cook show when I was like 23 and there was my first TV show and it was such a success that it never stopped. So uh, I did a couple of seasons and then other networks approached you to do other kind of shows with the end of the day is still going to be TV and the radios approached me to do radio shows and it just developed to be like, you know, I need to share my recipes because the demand was there and everyone was like, you know, how can we get a recipe? It's Ramadan. We need recipes. So I have to, so my job is basically to spread the word, spread knowledge. And since I started off immediately after graduating, like, you know, being back in the industry for six months and then started off teaching in class. So I thought, let me just take it to the next level and do the mass mass communication which is basically teaching mass like you know from radio from tv at the end of the day and still like spreading knowledge so uh, and what is the knowledge that you want to spread what is it that you want to teach people is it to, 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 to inspire them to cook at home is it to inspire them to use certain ingredients or to cook a certain type of food yeah what i normally say is that i want to give people a professional touch but the professional child that can be able to use at home. Mm. So not everyone can be basically an industry chef who probably wants to go to the hotel and work in the hotel industry. But people want to learn these little things that you eat from the restaurant or from like, you know, a five-star restaurant from a hotel, which is basically amazing food. And you want to put it on practice at home. So what I do, I take that knowledge that I learned from the industry and simplify it and then make you cook it at home. So I want to simplify the recipes. Like you've had, you went to a restaurant and you had some pepper steak and you wonder how am I going to make this pepper steak that would taste as good as a restaurant at home so I simplify that recipe and I put it up like in a very simple words and I'll just give it out to you so you can be able to like you know cook it at home and get that little taste of uh, a restaurant at home so give it the fine dining at home that's basically what I do and and uh, what is it what type of cuisine is it that you're teaching them what kind of food is it traditional Kenyan cuisine yeah my cuisine is basically a fusion I would say Swahili cuisine but then with a touch of uh, you know um, a Middle Eastern touch a bit of some Indian touch because Swahili how I would uh, describe Swahili is basically Swahili is more of a fusion um, a little bit of Bantu which is the typical African a little bit of Indian a little bit of Middle Eastern a little bit of uh, Chinese in there and of course some British in there as well because we were colonized by the British back at the coast at the end of the where I come from where I'm born in Mombasa mm-hmm. and it's just a fusion so that African Swahili cuisine is basically my signature and it's just a beautiful uh, cuisine which involves a lot of coconut because we come from the coast and it's just delicious now you've also been involved among all the other in addition to all of this you are actually also involved with ifad yes now tell me a little about what 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 you've been doing with them well ifad number one ifad is the reason i got into uh this project of uh empowering farmers low-scale farmers like i've always been like you know this guy who would empower the youth mm. but then now if it got me to go into low-scale farmers and uh 
tackle a couple of uh, climate uh, issues that they have, food security, like, you know, and uh, it's been quite an educational journey for me, thanks to IFAD, and uh, I'd always appreciate what they've done for me. And uh, I got to travel to some parts of East Africa, like uh, Rwanda, which is basically uh, part of Kigali called Kirahe. And uh, I met this amazing lady called Oliver that... IFAD had funded uh, her to basically build a um, biogas, uh, the biogas thingy. I don't remember the, the way it is, but I know she used to create fuel or make her own fuel using cow dung because she has cows, she has a farm, and then, uh, like, you know, create her own fuel, which is amazing. And uh, I got to visit her thanks to IFAD, and then we had to cook using that biogas, and then... Uh, just create an amazing recipe. So the thing with IFAD is that I visit low-scale farmers and then I see what they normally do in terms of uh, food security, what they have, what ingredients they have, and how they can be able to sharpen these ingredients and make them an amazing meal at home. So I normally sharpen the uh, recipe, just give it a bit of some more flavor, and then see how we can be able to make it fun so that they can be able to enjoy a meal at home with the family other than just using the normal ingredients and just cooking a simple meal. So my involvement is basically to learn how they, um, they grow their crops and now how they can be able to sharpen their skills and make them more delicious in terms of cuisine and plate presentation and putting it up to the family so that they can all enjoy a beautiful meal which is going to have a chef's touch in there. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what an incredible way of, of diversifying your knowledge as well and, winning, and really putting your, your, your cooking skills to the test, going to an area and, and basically just being able to use the local ingredients and yes. finding out how you can make mm-hmm. also a, 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 a climate-resistant meal because mm-hmm. it has to be crops that can mm-hmm. survive in the, in the environment that they have. Has this work influenced how you cook in any way? Do you take these experiences and, and can one taste it once you come back? Yes, yes. Because the thing is, like, I did another project with Ifad where I went to uh, Kitui. Kitui uh, is part of Kenya and uh, they uh, normally eat a lot of ugali, which is made out of corn or maize. And then it reached a point that back where in the village, like, you know, corn or maize was basically scarce and they couldn't get a lot of it and they were wondering what to eat. And yet they have a lot of sorghum and uh, what happens is that they sell the sorghum to make money. And uh, they never knew if they could cook the sorghum and enjoy a meal out of it. So uh, when I went, thanks to Ifat again, I uh, I got to learn how they uh, basically, what they're facing. Uh, they don't have maize and they have a lot of uh, sorghum, and they do have a lot of green grams as well, and they didn't never knew if they can be able to cook it and make an amazing meal. So what I told them is that, okay, we're going to make a dish out of sorghum and green grams, and then it's going to taste as good or even better than the ugali that you normally make using your maize. So there's no point of basically thinking of what to eat because or probably uh, reducing the amount of food that you eat because you don't have maize. We can make a dish. So we made an amazing meal out of sorghum and uh, green grams. We just added a bit of some chef's touch in there, a bit of some garlic, ginger. I'm really a spicy one. And then we just made an amazing meal and the family enjoyed it. And they were like, wow, we never knew that we can cook sorghum with green grams and just create an amazing meal. So at least this one thing I could do in terms of uh, supporting or helping the small scale farmers in terms of uh, producing a meal out of ingredients that they never thought they could eat. 
because they only think that basically when they sell this, they're going to make money at the end of the day, which is okay. But then now, um, what my, my vision was basically cook what you have and what you get. At the end of the day, you can still sell it, but then you can still use it basically to uh, survive at the end of the day and uh, enjoy an amazing meal. It's really interesting. A lot of the questions that we get... Um at EAT is, is because we talk a lot about the SDGs and we talk a lot about how we're going to achieve the Paris Agreement and, and people listen to this and they understand it but a, a question we get frequently is yes but what can I do as a consumer what kind of a difference can I make and what you choose to do in the kitchen and the kind of food that you use uh, the kind of food that you buy and, and, and how you use it uh, can have a huge impact and, and, and it's it's very empowering for people to to know that how do you what do you tell people when they ask what can i do what can i do to contribute to the food that i make in terms of making a difference notably to 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 uh, make a contribution towards the sustainable development goals yeah what i would say are more of wholesome ingredients that's basically what what basically i'm i'm trying to push again mm-hmm. i did something with uh, jimmy oliver and uh, there was basically under his uh, a food revolution and I think this will be the angle that I may be able to explain this. Um, uh, and we were basically talking about wholesome ingredients. Like we're blessed back home to have organic ingredients. Almost all our tomatoes are organic. So I would say wholesome ingredients, like, you know, you use what you get at the end of the day in terms of uh, wholesome and processed foods. So, um, and, you know, make a meal out of the organic uh, ingredients that you have. So that could be my take in terms of uh, sustaining a healthy diet. And, uh, yeah. Final question for you, and this is going to be an easy one. Well, maybe not an easy one. You've got a lot to choose from. But when you (laughs) invite your family and friends at home over for a dinner, what meal, what is your favorite dish to cook and serve to them? Well, um, number one, I'm this kind of chef that I don't have a favorite meal because I appreciate food for earning someone a living. And that has been one question that's really difficult for me to say a favorite because I love food. I appreciate food. As long as it's halal, I would eat anything. And I would say back home, people love biryani. Yeah, so biryani is basically the rice where it's a staple. Rice is a staple back at the coast. And uh, it could be chicken biryani. It could be beef biryani. You know, it just depends how you cook it. And it could be a vegetarian biryani. So this is a staple that everyone loves. So on all our big occasions, like during Eid or on a wedding, you will never miss biryani there. So that will probably be a meal that I would serve. Not my favorite because I don't have a favorite. And... Uh, uh, I would say some normal Sahili staples, which is basically fish in coconut sauce. That's never a miss in my house. And, uh, of course, some beautiful fresh uh, lassi or fresh mango with a bit of some yogurt. We call that lassi. It's more of like an Indian touch. I'm not Indian, but at the end of the day, we love that. It cools down because it's really, really uh, hot in Mombasa. So that would definitely be a typical meal that I'd make at home when I invite people. Ali, I would love to get an invitation to that dinner. So let me know when you're going to host it. (laughs) Welcome whenever in Mombasa. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been amazing. That's all from us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Next week's topic is snacking in the cities. We'll be talking to Tom Arnold, member of the Global Panel on Agriculture and Food Systems for Nutrition, and EATS Policy Officer Emily Norford, 
about rising urbanization trends in low and middle income countries and the impact they have on our health and the food choices we make. In the studio with me was producer Gustav Glomset. I'm Marianne Stixet, and you've been listening to the Food Can Fix It podcast, produced by EAT.